0: He is yeah hey I don't I don't know why I wasn't getting it but I didn't I didn't get any of them via text
1: no that's fine we're good though uh thanks for tuning us tuning in for another edition of Chicago sports HQ chatter uh joined as always with Cole little and Cole, how was your past week this week and then the start of your week so far
0: pretty good pretty good hard to believe we're already about to be one month through 2021 but uh yeah i had a good weekend i hope you did too
1: yeah i was actually talking about that with my wife and my parents last night that uh, 2020 seemed like it took forever to finish basically because of everything that was going on Mm -hmm. and now we get to 2021 and the month of january is just like completely gone by like it doesn't even seem like we're ready. a month through almost
0: yeah yeah it's crazy but uh, we'll kick
1: off the show today by talking about the NFL playoffs last weekend, and I'm not necessarily as surprised in the results as you may be. Um, Obviously, we both picked Kansas City to beat Buffalo if Mahomes was healthy, which he was, and I believe you picked Green Bay over Tampa Bay, and I was leaning yeah. towards Tampa Bay mainly because of the way they played the first time against Green Bay, which... Once again, that defense continued to make life miserable for Aaron Rodgers. And despite the three interceptions by Tom Brady, Tampa Bay still got it done. Now, what were your thoughts on the playoffs this weekend?
0: Well, the NFC, I mean, that has to be one of the weirdest playoff games I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, I'm still trying to process just how – odd it was. I mean, just the way it played out to the decision making, um, the, the whole thing was was strange. I guess I should start with the AFC Championship before I dive into the NFC because, you know, AFC Championship game, yeah, I mean, Mahomes was healthy, looked good. Obviously, that offense, you know, got off to kind of a slow start. But once it started clicking and firing on all cylinders, the Bills couldn't really keep up. Um, you know, the Bills had a great year. I'm sure they'll have a better chance to uh, get to the Super Bowl next year. And, uh, yeah, they'll be contenders for years to come. But, yeah, um, you know, the Chiefs look great. Uh, You know, the key was really just having a healthy Mahomes and, and that offense looked awesome. So they're on to the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, with that being said, I mean, we have – we have a, a, a Super Bowl matchup that um, I'm sure a lot of people projected coming into the season with Kansas City versus Tampa Bay, but it's sort of unique because I think by the end of the regular season, most people were kind of accepted that Tampa Bay just maybe wasn't good enough to get to the Super Bowl, but here they are, and, yeah, it took a, a very odd game for them to get to this point, um, of course, you have one of the most controversial coaching decisions in playoff history, uh, with Lafleur opting to send Crosby out to kick the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and goal from the eight. You have you know Aaron Rodgers with two straight plays where he before that where he could have potentially run it in for a touchdown or at least gotten very close to the goal line and instead tried to kind of hot dog it with a couple risky throws that didn't work out. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, the Bucks did just enough to, to get the win, despite Tom Brady, who was, you know, really good in the first half, playing pretty poorly in the second half. Um, of course, a big play, another reason this was such a strange game, I'm still trying to figure out what the Packers' defense was doing on that last touchdown in the first half. Um, You know, Kevin King, the defensive back, who got burned uh, for pretty much the entirety of that half. Um, You know, that that was one of the, you know, many um, pitfalls in retrospect for the Packers in that game. Uh, And then, yeah, to give up that bomb touchdown, when Tampa had no timeouts left, um, you know, under 10 seconds to go in the half is just absolutely inexcusable. Uh, you know, it, in a way it's even more inexcusable and, and worse than the decision to kick the field goal. Um, you know, and you also have the controversial, I mean, somewhat controversial two-point conversion that the Packers attempted in the third quarter which was seemingly a little too early to try and get it to 28 to 25. And you have to wonder if, you know, if if they had just kicked the um, extra point there. I mean, you, you have to assume really that LaFleur um, would have attempted the fourth down play at the end if they were down by seven and not eight. Um, and, yeah, it's, you know, and then, of course, you have the somewhat controversial, another somewhat controversial decision this one by the referees to call the pass interference to effectively end of the game you know the call in and of itself wasn't really controversial except for the fact that throughout the whole game prior to that they let a lot of that kind of stuff go so I can understand why Packer fans would be upset by that call but uh yeah I mean just really weird a really weird game you know and it, it kind of sums up a lot of you know, the the seasons that the Packers have gone through in recent years where it feels like you know, it feels like just sort of a letdown end to their season, you know, it and I mean that maybe kind of sums up the ultimate difference between Brady and Rodgers. As big of a Aaron Rodgers fan as I am of his game, you know <laughs> this a lot of risk, um on, on Roger's behalf, and the decisions to make those two risky throws instead of attempt to run it in for a touchdown, you know, effectively did the Packers in. And meanwhile, Brady, despite throwing three pretty uh, bad interceptions, um, did just enough as a game manager to get the Bucks to the Super Bowl. And I mean, he really hasn't been you know i mean again I, i'm you know as great as brady is which i'm always um quick to to defend brady and point out how amazing he still is um you know it's not like he's had an amazing playoff run in these 3 games so far but he's made you know great decisions like he always does in in big time moments and uh the bucks have gotten to the super bowl behind that great defense and another thing i'm going I know I'm going on and on about this, but this game just blew my mind. I mean, you also had the fact that you know maybe the biggest injury coming into the game was um Tampa going out with going without uh Winfield their their young star safety, and you know that was expected to play a huge role and then during the course of the game, Whitehead, their other safety gets hurt, but the Packers really couldn't take advantage of it so um you know if anything the biggest injury when it was all said and done was not either one of those or Antonio Brown not playing uh, it ultimately might have been David Bakhtiari's recent injury which I know we have talked about that you know obviously kept him from playing in this game the recent torn ACL and yeah because the Bucks pass rush which is great enough as is hadn't had a pretty easy job of getting to Rodgers throughout over the course of the game. Um, you have to wonder if that's because Bakhtiari wasn't in there. Um, but, yeah, and I mean, another thing is you have to wonder if, you know, Rodgers' insistence on running the play clock down to one on pretty much every play and doing that thing where he tries to get him to jump offside, on the hard count you have to wonder if that sort of played a factor in the bucks having success in the pass rush but yeah just a weird game i mean i've uh definitely one of the strangest feelings i've ever had after watching an nfl playoff game because i just didn't i just couldn't really believe all that just happened but uh yeah congrats to the bucks and um you know they did just enough to pull off the upset, and now Brady is going to his 10th Super Bowl, which you have to think is a record that will never be broken.
1: Yeah, the controversial play call on Matt LaFleur deciding to kick the field goal. um, I'm not an Aaron Rodgers fan. Like I respect his abilities and everything that he's accomplished, but I'm not an Aaron Rodgers fan whatsoever, so seeing him lose the way he does sometimes just (laughs) makes me smile. But – In a situation like that, Rodgers is the MVP, and I don't think anyone's going to sit there and argue and say that he's not. You have the MVP sitting at fourth in goal from the eight-yard line, and yet you chose to kick the field goal knowing that Tom Brady had a chance to run out the clock then. Any other situation, if that would have been a regular season game, you know he's going to go for it on fourth down. So I don't understand why he decided not to at that point. I mean, I understand his thought process because he had his press conference to kind of explain his thought process as to why he decided to kick the field goal anyways. But given how poorly the defense played for a majority of that game, I would not have put trust in that defense at okay. that point. Yeah. But the controversial pass interference call that they called on that last drive, I don't even think it was controversial at all. Like, I understand that. The referees were letting the players play pretty much the entire game, and there was a lot of pass interference calls that should have been called that were not called. But in this instance, if you look at how the play and everything started, it wasn't as if Kevin King was tugging on the jersey. He was tugging on, um, I believe it was, um, I can't remember, Tyler Johnson. Tyler, I believe John. it was Tyler Johnson that had the penalty called. Kevin King was tugging on his undershirt Yeah, right in front of the back judge. If you're going to tug on somebody's jersey, you cannot make it as obvious as he did at that point. And you especially can't hold on to the undershirt as long as he did in front of an official. I mean, yes, All right, it was a controversial call, obviously, considering how the game was being played the whole entire day. But in a situation like that, right in front of a referee, the ref cannot hold on to the flag at that point, especially when it's not even part of the jersey that's being tugged.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, at the very least, it would have had to have been defensive holding, which really, either way, it would have, you know, been. No, i haven't had been first done on, it. Tampa Bay really clock on it. Yeah. Right, so I didn't, I didn't find it to be too. Con- I mean, I again, this, I just, you know, consider it somewhat controversial, I guess, because of all that the refs let both teams get away with in that department throughout the game. But yeah, I don't mind the call at all. But at first glance it seemed like a suspect call. But then, you know, when showing the replay and seeing how long he was holding his, his undershirt and he clearly slowed uh, Johnson up, King did, and obviously it was, you know, an understandable call. And, yeah, I mean, as for Kevin King, you know, like I said, I mean, this putrid performance has to be one of the worst, considering the circumstances, has to be one of the worst uh, playoff performances by a defensive back ever. I mean, he was just unbelievably bad. And, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, perhaps the play of the game was the Scotty Miller touchdown uh, at the end of the first half because that seemed to sort of make the ultimate difference, give Tampa Bay enough breathing room to hold off the Packers. And yeah, as for just to put a bow on on my thoughts on Lafleur's decision to kick the field goal, I mean, look, I can't guarantee this. Well, we may never know, but I mean, I just feel like, it, in a way, in a weird way, it was him kind of compensating for, you know, th- maybe trying to get out of not having to dwell on the decision to go for two or answer questions about going for two because you know it's like, well. You know, if we, I guess the point, the main point I'm trying to say is that I feel I still feel like if they were down by only seven, he would have gone for it. But it's like, well, you know, if we if we score a touchdown here and then don't get the two point conversion, which you know is is not exactly likely that they they would against that good defense in a do or die kind of situation there. But um, then you know he would have to answer all these questions about. Well, why'd you go for two in the third quarter? Blah, 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 blah. So I don't know. I mean, I just wonder if that was, there was sort of a psychological component there because I just can't, I still can't wrap my head around. And I mean, really nobody can, can wrap their head around why he would think it would be a good idea with just over two minutes left, even though they had all three timeouts to, to, you know, attempt a field goal there. I mean, when your season's on the line, it makes, it makes no sense. And not to mention they received a gift when on the ensuing kickoff the return man inexplicably went gave himself up a couple seconds before the two minute warning. So they were gifted an extra timeout, and then they were gifted essentially another timeout when they intentionally jumped into the Packers intentionally jumped into the neutral zone and Bruce Arians accepted the penalty, which you know Mm-hmm. move the change and it moved the chains and essentially gave um Green Bay an extra timeout. So an extra chance to force a punt, but they still couldn't do it. But uh yeah, I mean, you know, of course, if the call on King hadn't been made, there would have been a punt, but there wouldn't have been hardly. I'm just, you know, I'm just blown away that that, that was the decision LaFleur made is something he'll have to, you know, answer for the rest of his coaching career. It will be a decision that goes down and in playoff infamy right up there with the decision to not run Marshawn Lynch and make the the throw that got picked off in the Pat Seahawks Super Bowl. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, an unbelievable decision to take Rodgers off the field. I mean, the, you know, the MVP, obviously, you know, one of the greatest gunslingers to ever do it. A guy who, you know, a guy whose Packers career might not be lasting too much longer. I mean, they start; they effectively started the twenty twenty season off by drafting a quarterback super early, and Rodgers expressed his dismay over that. And then the Packers finish off the season by taking him off the field and essentially, you know, preventing him from having a chance to extend the game and potentially get his team to the Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, I'm just blown away by it. It's just going to be something that will, you know, that will live on in Packers' war forever.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a decision that could haunt the Packers for years, but we'll just see what Aaron Rodgers' decision is after this season anyways. And sticking with football, um, there is obviously – not even in rumors at this point anymore, but Deshaun Watson clearly wants out of Houston, and he's pretty much willing to do whatever it takes to get out of Houston. And there is an article that came out either this morning or late last night about 17 teams that could potentially trade for Deshaun Watson this offseason. They have the Bears listed as one of those 17 teams, but they're also listed four different ways, if that makes sense. So if the Bears were to just trade directly with Houston, the way they have it looking is Chicago would send Houston their 20th and 57th pick from this year, their 22nd, first and fourth round picks, their 23rd first round pick. And then quarterback Nick Foles would be sent to Houston in return. Watson and a 2023 fifth round pick would come to Chicago that was one of the trade scenarios if the Bears were to trade just straight up with Houston, which I, ne- I don't necessarily like that deal just because Chicago needs as many draft picks as humanly possible to kind of build up that roster. So giving away draft picks for for their sake, I don't think is a wise choice. I mean, it would be. If you could get Watson out of it, it would be one thing, but just giving up what they would potentially have to give up for him. I don't like that scenario, but if I can find the second one here. um, The second one actually involves both the Bears and the Miami Dolphins in a potential trade for Watson. And this is a trade that I would actually like to see happen. So, The Miami Dolphins would give the Houston Texans their third pick overall this year, their 36th pick this year, their 113th pick from this year. They would also give Houston a 2022 first-round pick and a 2023 first-round pick. In the process, Tua Viola would get traded from the Dolphins to the Bears. And then the Texans would send Watson – over to Miami and then the Bears would send a fourth round pick for 2022 to the Dolphins. This trade to me is kind of intriguing especially when you look at Tua Viola and kind of the season that he had last year where he played well in spurts but then he also struggled in spurts which is kind of why Ryan Fitzpatrick stayed on the roster this year but Out of these two scenarios, I do like the Miami Dolphins scenario with the Bears because it allows the Bears to acquire a young, controllable quarterback without having to give up a ton of draft picks in the process to do so.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, that would be a solid move. Um, You know, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out because, um, I mean, for one thing, it seems like Watson's main – location his, his prized destination right now is the jets he wants to be able to play for robert sala and i guess get to a big market and have a chance to turn that franchise around um you know but i mean the texans the one team that still haven't still has a hired a head coach which for what that's worth and it might end up being B enemy who can't Eric be enemy you can't be hired technically until the chiefs are no longer active so at, until after the Super Bowl, but um, yeah, it's it's you know it's crazy to think that after all this, the Bears could have a chance to redeem themselves from the infamous draft decision and be able to acquire Watson via trade. Um, you know, I can imagine he would be on board and, and welcome that trade and. And Don um, would hopefully let bygones be bygones with the with um, the Bears' decision to draft Trubisky over him. Um but yeah, there are so many moving parts to that. I can imagine that the Texans right now are trying their very best to win Deshaun back and convince him to give it another year. Um, I mean, the, the way that franchise is unraveled and all the craziness coming out of that front office – uh, you know, and, and then the, from, you know, the Nuke trade, the Hopkins trade coming up on a year ago to, you know, the end of Bill O'Brien's tenure to Jack uh, Jack Easterby and that strange situation in the front office is just sort of a, been a nightmare. And I mean, I can't blame Deshaun for being. Really upset with how that franchise has fallen off from being a Super Bowl, you know, a borderline Super Bowl contender to being a laughing stock. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to see if the the Bears will can get in the mix there. Um, I agree with you; they shouldn't be looking to give up too much in the way of draft picks. But you know, if they can reasonably acquire a a decent quarterback a proven you know a young quarterback who's proven to to be a bright star um you know they should uh, they should certainly look to to you know take the jump and and jump at the opportunity if they don't have to give up too much
1: what about um trading for Matthew Stafford and using him as basically a two year bridge type of quarterback i mean he's got he's 30 going to be 33 years old this year but he's got two years left on his contract that he signed with Detroit, but it's a very team friendly contract. I think he's owed 41 million across the next two years.
0: Yeah, I would welcome that. I mean, Stafford's a guy who, you know, you have to wonder if he's, he's underrated just because he spent his whole career with that woeful franchise. And I mean, obviously he had Megatron to throw to all those years, but you know, it's, it's, Kind of like he's underappreciated at this point in his career. Yeah, it seems like he's older than he is just because he's been a in every day, you know, in every game starter. He's been starting virtually every game for the Lions for over a decade now. But um, yeah, if they were the Bears were able to make that move, I would welcome that. I mean, I can imagine Stafford's hoping to move on to Indianapolis or somebody who's in Super Bowl mode right now, as opposed to maybe within a year or two. Um, but, you know, yeah, I would, I would welcome that.
1: And now we'll switch over to the Bulls for a little bit. And the Bulls are kind of going through some up and downs right now. They lost four games in a row, responded with three wins in a row, and now they've dropped their last two games against Lakers, who are one of the best teams out west, and then the Celtics, who are one of the best teams out east. But the Bulls are still kind of in that 9 to 11 seed range, so they're still basically battling for the final playoff spot. So, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole lot of season left over, but we're almost a third through the NBA season in Chicago, still in that playoff hunt for the p- final position, so that's good. But outside of how good the Bulls have been playing lately, they are going to be without Wendell Carter Jr. now for the next four weeks as he's dealing with a quadricep contusion at this point. Offensively, Carter's game has never translated to what the Bulls hoped it would be, but he's one of the better defensive players on that team, and he was actually having the best year of his career thus far to start of the season. So, I mean, that's going to be a big loss for the Bulls. Now they're going to have to depend a lot more on Daniel Gafford, who... Is very inconsistent at best, but I still like the way this Bulls team has played. I still love the effort they give every night on the floor, and I really like the way Donovan's kind of put this team together. You have like your starting five and Levine, White, Williams, Markin, and right now Gafford who's filling in for Carter, but then you have what a lot of experts are calling the bench mob now with. Thaddeus Young, Otto Porter Jr., and all those guys that come off the bench who are starting to score, I think they said they're averaging like 50 points a game between the bench, and the starters are putting up like 70. So their bench on some nights actually performs better than the starters, and that's going to go a long way to determine how far this team can go this
0: year. Right, yeah, bench play is going to be key. Um, Having to go without Carter for a month or so will be tough because, like you said, he's a key defensive piece and important Cog for that defense and not having him out there will will definitely uh, hurt, you know, and he came on strong and, and stepped up when Markinen was out. So um, that's, that's certainly a, a somewhat big blow for this Bulls team. But yeah, I mean, they won by double digits at the Hornets on Friday and have since lost two in a row at home to the Lakers and Celtics, like you said obviously they're not you know anywhere close to the level of the lakers or the celtics right now so that's not those aren't bad losses the key is just for them to continue winning games they should win slash could win um such as beating the hornets and just staying in contention to get in the playoffs um so yeah we'll we'll see if their bench steps up we'll see how they fill the void with Um, Carter being out, and yeah, Gafford is going to be key to uh, filling that void for sure.
1: And while you have the Bulls who are kind of taking their ups and downs, you have the Blackhawks, on the other hand, who are starting to find their stride a little bit. I mean, they did lose their first four games of the year, but they did pick up a point against Florida in that final game of their opening road trip, losing in overtime. Then they got the Red Wings last past weekend, and physically dominated in Detroit in every facet, or earning two wins. And then they had the National Predators beat for most of that game last night, but let it get away in the third period before losing in overtime. But despite that, that makes four consecutive games now where the Blackhawks have scored at least one point, and now they're sitting with six points on the season and are in a, basically a five-way tie for second place in the Central Division.
0: Right, yeah, they've they've certainly come on strong stronger since their woeful start that we talked about last week you know winning two in a row over rival detroit is big and they won both of those games fairly somewhat comfortably um took nashville to overtime before losing but yeah definitely stepped up uh the goalie play has gotten a lot better since we spoke on this last week and uh you know, an offensive surge against Detroit as well. So, um, you know, hopefully for their their sake, they'll get it going. I mean, of course, in a weird season like this, with the weird scheduling and the realignment, and the fact that they're coming off short rest over the off season, you know, or, or just a really unorthodox off season as well. Um, you know, it's understandable for things to be, uh, you know. Not necessarily go according to plan right off the bat early this season. So hopefully the Blackhawks, for their sake, can move past that o three and one start and um, settle down and you know continue to uh, compete at a high level.
1: I know it was, it was very it was a very good to see uh, Pius Suter on Sunday pick up his not only his first NHL goal but his first three NHL goals for that matter, or Saturday, I should say, his first three NHL goals for that matter against Detroit. That's certainly one of the younger players that the Blackhawks are looking on, counting on for long terms. But then we go to the goalie side of things, and you had Malcolm Subban, who really struggled in his opening test against Tampa Bay. He looked a lot better last night. And then you had Colin Delia, who struggled in his – only appearance this year, but right now it seems like Kevin Lankinen might be the goalie of the future for Chicago. Like I understand he gave up five goals against Florida in his first appearance, but then he comes in against Detroit, picks up back to back wins against Detroit, allowing three total goals in those two games. And at twenty five years old, Lankinen might be the piece that the Blackhawks can build around, especially in the goalie side of things.
0: Yeah, he's been impressive. And um, obviously that's going to be, you know, an important storyline that unfolds over the course of this season is how the Blackhawks are going to move on from the Corey Crawford era. You know, it's not easy for any NHL team to ever have to, to, you know, start a new goalie era after you've had um, a goalie, you know, a veteran goalie in place for so long. Um, So, yeah, maybe that's maybe he is the the answer. Maybe he's the future.
1: And now we'll switch over to baseball for a little bit. And all of a sudden, the free agent market is really starting to heat up. I mean, you had JT Real Muto sign his big five year contract with the Phillies. Everyone expected him to sign a big deal, but nobody really knew where he was going to land. And now you have the middle infield market with guys like Marcus Simeon. Freddie Galvis and Angelton Simmons are all signing one-year deals, so now you have the middle infield market starting to pick up. But uh, rumors out of Chicago at the moment is that the Cubs appear to be one of six teams interested in going after Colton Wong to play second base. I always hated Colton Wong when he was on the Cardinals, and not because just he was a great player, but I always hated him mainly because. He was such a good defensive player, and was such a thorn in the side for Cubs fans for years that bringing him to Chicago would be a breath of fresh air. And if you put him in the middle with Javier Baez, the type of defense that that, that those two guys could play up the middle is going to be something that every team is going to have to contend with. It's going to be a nightmare for a lot of
0: teams. Yeah, that would be big getting him on board. Um, you know, I'm I'm still pretty surprised that the Cardinals opted to move on. From him, You know, John Mazaliak has sort of a reputation as being kind of cold-blooded. Um, I guess you kind of have to be if, if you're going to be a successful baseball executive, but um, he'll move on from players, um, you know, without a second thought. And, yeah, I mean, their, their quick decision to move on from Colton Wong I felt was surprising because he's been really the glue of that lineup in recent years. And yeah, he's such a fantastic defender um, and just a Jack of all trades kind of guy. You know, he's the sort of uh, slap hitter on base high percentage player um, that the Cubs could really use. Of course, we've talked before about our thoughts over Nico not necessarily being ready to be an everyday second baseman. Um, So Long could could step in and fill the void, hold down the fort in the meantime. Um, you know, we'll just have to see if they get it done. I mean, you know, of course we we spoke last week about having to wonder what their what um, the Cubs front office what the mo is for um, this offseason. You know, and and whether or not they're really interested in bringing in any notable veterans. Um, you know, they signed Andrew Romine, a ca- uh, catcher, who I guess will back up Contreras, assuming Contreras is back in the fold. Um, you know, and that was obviously necessary. But as far as what else, there, what other decisions, noteworthy signings they're going to make between now and spring training? I, I don't know. They They might not end up making any.
1: Yeah, I mean – Nico Horner is a guy that, I mean, I don't think he's ready to be an everyday starter yet at this point. But that doesn't mean that I don't think he's ready to be like a everyday type player at the major league level. I think he needs to play every day versus maybe being like one of those guys that sees two or three starts. So if you bring in a guy like Colton Wong, ideally, the best option would be to move Horner to AAA for the beginning of the year, let him get at then kind of figure things out as the season goes on. Or depending on what happens with the Cubs outfield market, you could take Ian Happ, put him in left, and move Horner to center field. Because I know Horner was getting reps at center field during spring training last year. There's been talk that Horner might move to center field this year just to get more at bat. So you bring in a guy like Colton Wong, if you really want to keep Horner on the big league roster, maybe moving him to center field would be probably your best bet.
0: Yeah, for sure. And um, I said the wrong Romine brother, by the way, Austin Romine was the catcher they signed. Um, But anyway, yeah, you know, there's just, there's a lot that still has to unfold um, between now and spring training for the Cubs to have sort of a a, um, a plan in place that fans can project, like what you know, what all is going to transpire with how lineups are going to look and whatnot. I mean, of course, there's the rumor mill for Chris Bryan is still going um, based on his recent comments about not enjoying playing baseball as much with all the trade rumors going around. Um, you have to wonder if he's really trying to leverage you know himself into getting traded so he can be done with this and potentially sign a new contract extension with another team um but yeah i mean you know the the you know the cubs can still be highly competitive even with this current group they have now um whether or not you know even if they're not a World Series contender. Um, they can still be really competitive and, um, you know, just have to wonder if if Hoyer will look to add to the veteran depth of that team or just kind of go into spring training with what they've got.
1: Yeah, and we're going to do a quicker show than normal today. It's uh, kind of a jam-packed quick show today. I got a lot of stuff going on this afternoon, so this will be the last topic we cover today, but we're just going to briefly touch on college basketball real quick. Um, Notre Dame has started to kind of get their feet rolling a little bit lately. They had a nice win over Miami the other day after picking up a win against Boston College before that, so they're on a two-game win streak kind of to push them up a little bit in the ACC standings. Illinois continues to go about their business, uh, had a nice win against Penn State. Uh, Michigan State had their game, or Michigan State's game was postponed. So now Illinois kind of gets to sit back and wait until they get Iowa on Friday. And then you have Northwestern, who they got off to such a promising start this year, and now they're on the verge of a seven game losing streak in the Big yeah. Ten, which was capped off by a rough three point loss to Penn State the other day. Uh, Northwestern does get a struggling Rutgers team, though, coming up, so that could be one of those games that helps them get back on the winning track before they get down to that stress run. Uh, Just what have you seen so far just lately in the college basketball side of things, especially with all the Chicago area teams lately?
0: Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame's won two in a row, um, beat Boston College by 10, which I believe we touched on last week, and then won by 14 at Miami. So, you know, they can work themselves back into the bubble conversation. As for Northwestern, yeah, the the trials and tribulations of having to play in the stacked Big Ten, um, it looks like maybe that was just a freak streak they were on to start Big Big Ten play when they got those big wins. Um, They've they've come back down to earth. They've fallen back down to earth since then. Um, And, yeah, as for Illinois, just got to – you know, stay competitive and, and keep competing at a high level in, in Big Ten play. You know, they've had some struggles lately, um, lost two in a row, but then they, they won at home, beat Penn State by 14. So that was key to getting them back on track. And, yeah, now the big game on Friday night at home against Iowa. So, yeah, it's just, you know, the Big Ten continues to be dog-eat-dog, dog. Um And, you know, I think we've seen Northwestern fall to the back of the pack, unfortunately for them. And as for Notre Dame, they could potentially take advantage of the ACC being weak, uh, which we talked, you know, so shockingly weak compared to what the ACC usually is. Of course, we touched on that last week as well. So, you know, Notre Dame can potentially work themselves back into the uh, bubble conversation.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think the next couple of weeks is certainly going to kind of give us a better look as to how things are going to shape up for the March Madness tournament, which we still don't know what it's going to look like. We know it's going to happen, but we don't know if um, it's going to be the same type of tournament or exactly what kind of tournament it's going to be, but we do know that it's going to happen, so... Right now, the next two weeks, I think are going to be super crucial for everyone that wants to make the tournament because we don't know if it's going to be something set up where only conference winners and conference tournament winners get in. We don't know if it's going to be automatic bids or anything like that because nobody's really given teams kind of a general consensus as to what's going to happen. They basically said we're going to have a tournament. We're going to have the tournament in in Indiana, and we're going to go from there. So nobody even knows how many teams are going to be in at this point. That's why right now I think the next two weeks are going to be crucial for teams to win as many games as they physically can to help kind of boost their resume for when the committee decides to let teams know what's all going to take place and how the tournament's going to look.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I agree.
1: That's all the time we got for you today. Uh next week we'll kind of be back to more of a full in-depth episode um without football really going on next week. It'll be more I think more basketball, more hockey talk next week. We can focus on free agency and even just things that happen in the football world whether it's players getting traded, whether it's trade news and things like that. It might be more of a news-based type of show next week as opposed to just kind of recap things. But, Cole, you got anything you want to add before you head on Yeah,
0: I mean, just wanted to briefly touch on, you know, the Bears hiring new defensive coordinator, Sean Desai, promoting him from within. Um, Players really spoken highly about him, and he has such an interesting journey through the coaching ranks and and seems to be, um, you know, a a real – Interesting, you know, he's an interesting hire, but seems to be a good hire. Seems to, you know, be a kind of guy who can bring some new blood to the mentality, you know, to, to that defense. And, um, I know hopefully he'll pay off for Chicago. And, uh, Northwestern also recently hired a new defensive coordinator and Jim O'Neill, the defensive backs coach from the Raiders, and also got, um, Holinsky. Ryan Helensky, who started for South Carolina Gamecocks in 2019, uh, lost his starting gig this past season, but he transferred to Northwestern and will be in line to potentially start for Northwestern, and he had some big performances in 2019. So we'll have to see if that pays off for Northwestern and if, if they continue to be one of the top teams in the Big Ten heading into the 2021 season.
1: Yeah, that will certainly be something to watch for, especially next year when we saw how good Northwestern was this year. Now they're adding a guy like Halinsky at the quarterback position to, in my opinion, he's better than what Peyton yeah. Ramsey is. So as long as he can play the way he did at South Carolina and as long as that defense continues to play well for Northwestern, I don't see them having a season where they're going to fall too much away from where yeah, they are I
0: right agree. now.
1: That's all the time we got for you today. Uh, Cole, take care, and we'll be all in right, touch man. again next Talk week.